uh, particularly in the New Testament, wrote, they didn't have chapter divisions. Uh, they didn't have verses. Uh, those were put in much later. Those are not inspired. They're good. They're helpful. But this was just a long letter to a church. And so uh, I, I want us to connect with uh, where Paul has been with the teaching on gifts and with that statement, and I will show you still a still more excellent way. And then he says this, If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I am a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. And if I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, if I have all faith so as to remove mountains but have not love, I'm nothing. If I give away all I have, if I deliver up my body to be burned but have not love, I gain nothing. Love is patient and kind Love does not envy or boast. It's not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It's not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never ends. As for prophecies, they'll pass away. As for tongues, they'll cease. As for knowledge, it will pass away. For we know in part, we prophesy in part, but when the perfect comes, the partial will pass away. When I was a child, I I spoke like a child, thought like a child, I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I gave up childish ways. For now we see in a mirror dimly but then face to face. Now I know in part, then I shall know fully, even as I have been fully known. So now faith, hope, and love abide, these three, but the greatest of these is love. This is the word of the Lord. Let's bow together. Lord, with a passage that rings so familiar to so many, we pray that that kind of familiarity won't get in the way of our digging and trying to understand the wonderful depths that you have given to us in this part of your holy word. And so we pray that your spirit would be our teacher. We would be more than just your students, but your adoring children sitting at your feet. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Now let me explain why I wanted to do this series this summer on 1 Corinthians 
13 before starting our Ephesians series in the fall. I wanted to take some time to really flesh out our verse of the year, which is, it's attached to the pulpit, um, but you all may have gotten these. You should have gotten these uh, at the beginning of the year. If you didn't, then uh, you can pick one up. A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another just as I have loved you. You also are to love one another. By this all, all men will know that you're my disciples if you have love for one another. Now why do we need to flesh that out? It seems pretty straightforward. I think one thing we, we need to understand with this is that by Jesus saying this, uh, by this all people will know that you're my disciples, he has in essence given the, the world permission to judge us and determine are we for real or not by that one quality. He doesn't say that about every aspect of Christianity, but he does say that about love. So it, it seems to me that since he has given our world permission, we, we better know what real love ought to look like. Don't you agree? We, we better understand the application of this because... Most everyone talks about love. So what would make love of a Christian so different that the world would have to take notice? And so that's why we're going to focus in on uh, this chapter, 1 Corinthians 13, because I don't know of any other one chapter that addresses it better in terms of really getting down and dirty and saying, this is what it's like. And therefore, this is what you ought to be like. And this is what everyone else in the world may look at to determine if this is indeed a love that comes from God. Now, there's, there's two dangers. One of them I alluded to in, of, of this chapter, not that it's a dangerous chapter, but uh, I, I alluded to in my prayer, and that is familiarity. Uh, you know, sometimes when you go into a part of Scripture that people have heard many times in many contexts, they can kind of tune out and say, I, I'm, I'm sure I've heard it all. And I just caution us not to ever do that with any portion of Scripture. Don't write it off. Ask God to, to teach us. But, but secondly, the danger in grappling with this particular chapter is if it's not connected with the gospel and with Christ. Here's what I mean by that. Many of you will go to weddings this, this summer. At many of the, those weddings this passage or a portion of it will be read. But also, at many of those weddings, 
it will be read in a very different way than we're reading it. Some people look at 1 Corinthians 13 and they say it's wonderful prose or that's a great philosophy. That's true. It is wonderful prose. It is a great philosophy. But the reason it's a great philosophy is because it's truth that comes from God's Word and God's Word is inspired and authoritative and therefore demands a response. So that's how we're coming at this. And it will be tied. It must be tied to the gospel and to Christ for it to have the meaning that was intended. So let's take a look at uh, this uh, word from God for us. Um, I want to start out in the first three verses. What we see is that Paul says that human achievements are vain if they are minus love. Without love, (coughs) human achievements are vain. Now, remember last week we talked about gifts from chapter, this chapter 12, Paul takes a whole chapter talking about gifts, and then he says, I'll show you a more excellent way, and it's almost like a parenthesis here, 1 Corinthians 13, because when he gets done with this chapter, he's going to go back to talking about gifts. But it's almost as if he said, okay, I've I've taught you some about the gifts of the Spirit. This is really, really important, but here's something that brings it all together. And that's what we're studying this summer, this this chapter 13. And then he's going to go back and continue to teach about the gifts of the Spirit. So um, we have this inserted. Now, if you're here last week, we, we made a point of one of the things that Paul said about the gifts of the Spirit. He used a very non-politically correct term. What he said was, when you were pagans, we don't use that term, okay? Paul used it, though, so we're using it. What he was saying, when you didn't know God, when you didn't know Christ. When you were pagans, you were led astray to mute idols. Now, what he's doing here is emphasizing the profound difference of, you know, back before you knew Christ, you were worshiping literally these idols that couldn't see or hear or speak. You were serving them, and you were led astray because there's no doctrine of gifts or service to them. They don't know whether you're doing anything. It's okay, if you're worshiping idols, it's okay to just go through the motions because they're not going to know, all right? But he said, now it's different. You can't just go through the motions. And in fact, when the Spirit gives us gifts, you can't just Use the gift. There's another component in there that makes it a uniquely Christian gift. And that's where the umbrella of of 
that sounds like a cliche, but the umbrella of love really is over all of this service that we do. So let's first of all look at um, the kinds of achievements or things that people can do that he lists here. Uh, There's six of them, so we'll, we'll just touch on them. Uh, he says, verse 1, if I speak in the tongues of men and of angels. Now there, you can look at it on two levels. Speaking in the tongues of, of men would be if you've got an eloquence, if you're you know, a, a, a great orator, uh, that kind of a, a, a person, that's what he's saying. If you've got that gift, you know, all well and good. Now he's, he's going to say it's not all well and good unless... But that's what he's talking about here. But he also says uh, the, the tongues of men and of angels. Now, there, we've got to clarify this, because he is talking about speaking in tongues. He had talked about it in the previous chapter. He's going to talk about it in the next chapter. We talked about it a little bit last week. We talked about it when we were in the book of Acts. To clarify, our understanding of speaking in tongues was that it was speaking in in known languages. Because if you look back in, uh, just to remind you, in Acts chapter 2, the first time we really see anybody speaking in tongues, the Holy Spirit comes out upon them, and they begin, uh, you know, the apostles begin speaking, and it says this, each one was hearing them speak in his own language. So it was, it was a known language. It was not gibberish. It was, uh, it, it was a language that if you were from that country, you would recognize it. But it was, it was an uncommon gift because they hadn't studied the language. So that's why it was a particular gift. Uh, in chapter 12, it, it uses the phrase, uh, verse 28, various kinds of tongues, which again would indicate different kinds of languages. So what was happening is evidently the Corinthians were overemphasizing that one particular gift. Uh, he, he lists it as, as uh, last in the, in the list of gifts there, and he's trying to put it into a right perspective, and he says, not only, not only does he list it last, but he, he says, desire the greater gifts, uh, but the Corinthians would have read this, talking about speaking in the tongues of men and angels, and they would have said, well, that would be great, if only I had that gift, so that's the first thing he mentions, and then secondly, if you have great gifts for the church, uh, uh, verse 2, if I have, a, have prophetic powers, literally, if I have prophecy, which means if, if I'm given the office of prophet. Now, elsewhere in the Scripture, in, in Ephesians, in fact, it talks about that office being foundational. But with it, uh, the office of apostles and prophets being foundational. But with it being foundational, that doesn't mean it's at the bottom. It means it's really, that was an important office. So he's saying, look, if you have this, if you, have, if you can speak this way, 
if you've been given the office of the prophet, which by the way in our day we would say there is no further office of the prophet because it was foundational. It was laid once and for all, but we'll get into that in, in Ephesians. Uh, so here we see the, these prophetic powers. Um, and then thirdly, in the, the same verse, if you have what I've called an uncommon understanding, uh, verse 2, if I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge. Can you imagine being that person in class that when you get to one of the the big mysteries, you just say, let me me explain this to the rest of you, (laughs) you know? Whenever I teach Theology 101, the, the very first class, I introduce the class, and a lot of you have been through that, to Deuteronomy 29.29. Deuteronomy 29.29 basically says that the secret things belong to God, but the things that are revealed belong to us and to those who come after us. And the reason I introduce that Deuteronomy 29.29 first is because if you're going to study theology, you better come to grips with the fact that you're going to come to the end of your understanding. You're going to come to a place where you say, oh, well, that's a mystery. Deuteronomy 29, 29, that applies here. Now, you don't want to say that before you ever study and say, oh, it's all a mystery to me. You know, but but it, you, you want to study hard, be diligent. But then when you, when you get to that point, say, well, you know, the secret things do belong to God. What, what Paul is saying here is... <clears throat> What if you were the one in class that never has to claim Deuteronomy 29.29? Because you say, I would be happy to explain this mystery with my knowledge. Pretty impressive. And then he goes on and he talks about faith. If I have prophetic powers under this verse 2 still, understand all mysteries, all knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to remove mountains. Now, if that sounds familiar, it should, because Jesus used that same phrase. Jesus and Paul probably used that same phrase because that was a Jewish saying. It was, it was a, a saying when they were talking about faith being great, uh, they would say, oh yeah, that's a faith that, that can move mountains. So Jesus kind of took it and explained it. Paul is here saying, you know that, that great faith that, you know, which basically that kind of faith was that which is impossible. If you have that kind of faith, you, it is now possible. That's what they were saying. So he says if you've got that kind of a faith, and then he goes on to talk about generosity. Verse 3, if I give away all I have. Do you see the extremes he's going to? He's not just saying if I give a lot, if I give away all I have, if I dole it out to those who are in need, if I show extreme charity. Now again, I hope you're seeing the extreme that he is taking us to. And then 
the, the last quality he talks about is self-sacrifice. Martyrdom, really. If I deliver up my body to be burned. Now we know there's, there, there's something special promised for martyrs. Crown of life in the Scripture. Jesus said, blessed are you when you are persecuted. There's something, something special for martyrs. But Paul's not satisfied with those qualities that I've just mentioned. What could possibly be missing? Look, if um, one of you came up to me and said, you know what, Dale, I've, I've been inviting this person to church and uh, I, th- I think they're going to come, just want to let you know. And, and a lot of you say something like that to me, but, but uh, you know, then I say, oh, tell me about them. And you say, well, uh, this person speaks with, uh, you know, with such eloquence and uh, with the tongues of angels, in, in fact. And, and this person is a, a prophet and has more understanding than anyone else. They, they get the mysteries. And they have the kind of faith that moves mountains. And not only that, they, they give away everything to those in need. And they, they are self-sacrificial to the extreme. Now, without 1 Corinthians 13, I would probably say, as would most pastors, well, bring them on, you know. That's who I want in my church. We could use a, a, a room full of members like that. <clears throat> but here's the thing. You know what Paul says that keeps me from saying it that freely? Paul says, oh, that's all very good. But I just have one question. Do they love? One question. Is there love? If the answer is anything but yes, then Paul responds this way as he did in 1 Corinthians 13. I don't care if they got the gift of tongues. If if they don't have love, They're just a noisy gong or clanging cymbal. We've got gongs and cymbals back there. It was all I could do not to bring them out just to illustrate. But I I love our percussion section when they're playing, you know, every other week or so. Um, But but imagine this. If, you know, uh, uh, Mark or Josh or whoever's leading, gets up and says, okay, turn to uh, crown him with many crowns and so on. And then all you get is this for the introduction. Okay. And you, and you, you try. Do you see what it's saying? I, you know, symbols and gongs are great 
when they're played at the right time in the right way. But if that's all that it is, it's empty. And that's what he's saying. Look, you know, Paul's saying, I don't care if they can talk like that. If they don't have love, that's all it is. And then he would go on and say, uh, you know, I don't care if they're a prophet, if they understand everything, if they have faith, if they're generous. I don't even care if they lay down their life. If they don't have love, it's vanity. It's useless. He wouldn't say, bring them in in, and let's bring them along. It's empty. And he'd say, I don't care. He'd say, you've accomplished nothing. You've achieved nothing. You've proved nothing. It's all vanity. Now, how could he go that far? Well, I want us to skip ahead. We're going to come back to uh, the end of the chapter when we get to it later this summer, but look at verse 13. He says this, So now faith, hope, and love abide, these three, but the greatest of these is love. The reason Paul says all of that that those things are useless without love is because love is the greatest. And if it's missing, then the meaning of those things are missing. How is love the greatest? Why? I just want to basically read you two verses. Because one's from Ephesians. We're going to spend a lot of time on this verse, I promise you. Uh, at the... Uh, at the end of verse 4 in chapter 1 of Ephesians, it talks about God's eternal love for His Son and His people. It says, In love He predestined us for adoption as sons through Jesus Christ according to the purpose of His will, to the praise of His glorious grace with which He's blessed us in the Beloved. So there you have the, the love of, of God for us for his son and then us returning to him. And then John in 1 John 4, it talks about the fact that God is love. He's not all about love. It's not a, a good quality he has. He is Love. Beloved, verse 7, 1 John 4, 7. Let us love one another. See, there's the application. For love is from God. Whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God. Do you see now why all these qualities are empty? Doesn't mean they can't help mankind, but in terms of eternal value, they're empty. Because there's not a knowledge of God involved. Because God is love. So we've come to know and, and to believe the love that God has for us. This is verse 16. God is love. And whoever abides in love abides in God. 
and God abides in him. That's why it's the greatest. Right there. Because it's who God is. A new commandment I give you, that you love one another just as I've loved you. You also are to love one another. By this all people will know you're my disciples if you have love for one another. Look, here's, here's the bottom line. And here's the connection that I talked about earlier with you. There is one who spoke with uh, tongues of men and angels. Who spoke with eloquence and authority that had never been heard on this earth before or since. Who not only spoke the language of angels, but with angels. (laughs) And there is one who is a prophet. Actually, he's not just a prophet, but he is the one that all of the Old Testament prophets coming and doing what they did were pointing to this one prophet that would make it so there's no more need for a prophet after him. And he's not only a prophet, but he's a priest and a king. He's fulfilled that. And then there's one who has more understanding and knowledge than anyone who's the possessor of all mysteries, who doesn't need to quote Deuteronomy 29.29 because he's the one being quoted when we quote Deuteronomy 29.29. That's the knowledge that he has. And there is one who showed us the kind of faith and trust that, that moves mountains. In fact, he's the one that, that spoke to a fig tree, and the fig tree responded immediately. He's the one that spoke to a storm, and, and the storm, the lightning and the thunder and the wind said, did you hear who that was? We got to stop. And there's one who willingly gave away everything to those who needed him. He set it all aside. He had everything, Philippians 2, he set it aside to come because we were in need. And then he gave his body. Not to be burned, but he gave his body for us. Now here's the key. With all of those things I have just said, he did it with love, which put eternal value on those actions. And so there is no emptiness, there is no clanging symbol but those are perfection. That's why we need Christ. And that's why we can't go through 1 Corinthians 13 without Christ in every single verse. When we 
just go through the motions of doing the right thing. When we find ourselves just flat out of love to show for anybody else, or maybe out of love even of ourselves. When we are empty because we are doing the right thing, but doing it without love, here's our hope. If you're trusting in Christ alone, you have Christ in you. He's the one that is absolute love. And so, what you can do does not need to be empty. He can enable you to fulfill the mandate of love. Let's bow together. Thank you, Lord Jesus, that when you came and did everything you, you, you did, you never once just went through the motions. Because you are love. And so those actions, that sacrifice, your giving, your speech, all of that is out of love. And so, Lord, will you help us to depend utterly upon you? Even, even today, if we are to show love for one another, that's where it's got to come from. And so we ask for this in Jesus' precious name. Amen.